Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. The scripture this morning is from Exodus 20, verse 7. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. This is the word of the Lord. That's a pretty good scripture to get if you're a liturgist today. There are times when people were going through the Daniel series when they had to read entire books and they were thinking, I wish I could just get one commandment, but this is the day. This is the day. There are folks who study origins of terms and how they come to us over the years. It's not just the etymology of a word, but of phrases as well. In 1917, Lord John Arbuthnot Jackie Fisher, a retired officer from the British Navy, wrote a letter to Winston Churchill about some shocking things he was reading about the Royal Navy in World War I headlines. And at one point he wrote, I hear now that the new order of knighthood is on the tapas, which is up for discussion, on the tapas, OMG. And he writes in parentheses, oh, exclamation point, my God, exclamation point, showered on the admiralty. That was the origin of the phrase OMG. This phrase became fairly commonplace. Usher did a song about it. It's shorthand in texting. It's a hashtag in social media. And in 2011, it was added to the Oxford English Dictionary. It's often used as an exclamation of shock or surprise. Now, people of careful Christian conscience will often substitute gosh in place of God so as to not cross a line. Otherwise, it's fairly common to throw around the name of the creator and savior of the universe without a second thought. Why does it matter at all? Why does it matter at all? And that leads to our first lesson from this morning's scripture. There is something special about the divine name. There's something special about the divine name. Scripture actually uses all kinds of different words to describe and name in the original languages God. There's the term Hebrew in the Old Testament. They use the term Elohim, which is a generic term for gods, multiple gods. That could be pagan gods, idols, that's what's at play when they're using the term Elohim. But if you add a specific Hebrew article, which in English would be something like the, and you're talking about the God of Israel, it would be Ha Elohim. When you break it down, that's a unique phrase. In the Hebrew, if you've studied languages, in the Hebrew, they have article genders that match up with noun genders. If you've played around with Spanish or French or things like that, you notice that they have gendered language. And so Ha is a singular article but it's followed by the plural for gods. So the singular, gods, multiple. It's almost as though from the very first utterance of the term, there was a hinting of the Trinity, which Christians came to understand as God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then you've got the term Adonai, which is basically uh, Lord in royal subservient terms. If you see Lord with a capital L and the rest of the word is in lowercase letters, Adonai is probably the word that it's being translated from. But then in the OT, God has a proper name also. Scripture uses the term YHWH, sometimes pronounced Yahweh, before this, but we join with Moses in hearing the divine name first proclaimed in Exodus 3. As Moses was protesting about being sent in the name of his God, 
he was saying, they won't believe me. They'll ask, which God are you talking about? What's his name? What should I tell them? And God replied, I am the one who always is. Just tell them I am has sent me to you. It means I am. I will be what I will be. Whenever in the Bible you see the word Lord spelled out with an uppercase L and then it's a small capitals O-R-D, that's usually translating from that proper name. The divine name is being used there. It's a name that's been set apart and spoken with reverence for thousands of years. God declares the name to be holy, which specifically means it's set apart for a pure purpose. That's important less because of what it means for God and more because of what it means for us. In Leviticus chapter 22, God says, You must faithfully keep all my commands by obeying them, for I am the Lord. Do not treat my holy name as common and ordinary. I must be treated as holy by the people of Israel. It is I, the Lord, who makes you holy. It was I who rescued you from Egypt, that I might be your very own God. I am the Lord. God commanded that we recognize there's something special and set apart about the divine name because under that name, we are special and we have been set apart. It becomes a bit extreme in places. There are instances in the Old Testament where folks would be killed by the throwing of stones for misusing God's name and it was a commandment, one that they took very seriously. There are still some strands of Talmudic Jewish adherents today who go out of their way to not speak the name of God, the Tetragrammaton or Yahweh, even when it comes up in Scripture. It's that precious to them. See, God really wanted his beloved people, people who were about to be called out of the abuse of chattel slavery and into freedom, God needed them to understand that they are not common and profane as they'd been led by their masters to believe. They were a people set apart, not so that they would become haughty or arrogant, but so others would see and know that there is a compassionate God of mercy for the folks who powerful people viewed as throwaways. That's all wrapped up into the holiness of the divine name that God revealed to Moses before leading the people out of Egypt. Our God is not a God crafted and manipulated by the powerful to accomplish self-serving ends and purposes. Our God is and will be what God will be. So how we speak of God has serious implications. Ours is the God of perfect love. Our Christ is the sinless one. Our Lord is all-powerful, present, and knowing. Our God speaks and stars form. When our Lord speaks, mighty kingdoms fall. Our God holds eternity and knows every day of our lives before we're ever born. And yet we've figured out a lot of ways to underplay all of that. And that leads to our second lesson. God's name remains special even when people cheapen it. God's name remains special even when people cheapen it. Sometimes we get wrapped up in few foolish arguments about where God's name belongs and where it doesn't. There are folks who get super upset when God's name is not mentioned in certain circumstances. You may recall after the events of September 11th of 2001, companies were falling all over themselves to prove themselves patriotic. There was a Dr. Pepper marketing campaign sometime after that where they tried to generate some inspiring patriotic cans. And as part of that, they designed a can with a fraction of the lines from our Pledge of Allegiance. It said, one nation ellipses, indivisible. In those earlier quaint years of burgeoning culture of viral rage in the pre-social media era, 
people noticed that the can left off two words typically included in the Pledge of Allegiance between one nation and indivisible. Those words were under God. There were Christian people who absolutely lost their minds over this slight. How dare Dr. Pepper? How dare they exclude the holy name of the Most High King off of their opportunistic marketing campaign? Do we really think the holy name of Yahweh, the God of Israel and creator of the universe, needs to be on an aluminum soda can that starts off filled with delicious poison and ends up being tossed into a recycling bin if we're lucky? Do we think shouting down people about stuff like that restores the dignity of God's name? If you read the Dr. Pepper FAQs, you'll discover that they are a kosher product. I'm not sure keeping the divine name off your disposable packaging is necessarily a part of the standard for being certified kosher, but it probably doesn't hurt. Sometimes we cheapen God's name with unhelpful platitudes or promises that we pretend God made, but God did not. God helps those who help themselves. That's not God's promise. God never gives you more than you can handle. Definitely not God's promise. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I think you're thinking of Franklin. Part of honoring God's name is by not putting God's signature on things that God never assured. Sometimes we cheapen God's name through thoughtless offenses. I've spent time with some high school students, and even the Christian ones are by design not the most considerate with their words. It's not malice, and it's not meanness. It's just something that comes with time and development. So I'll be on a mission trip with a Christian kid, and in surprise or frustration, they'll say something like, Jesus Christ, and I'll respond with, Amen. Because if they're going to call upon the name of Jesus, we can at least turn it into a prayer. Some folks will say God or Jesus in place of a curse word. But think about this. How would you enjoy it if every time somebody was frustrated or angry, they spoke your name in their frustration? I'll be honest, though. Sometimes I try it with my own name, and Grant Donald works really well. Grant Donald! (laughs) Jesus sums it up pretty well for us. When it comes down to it, however we speak about God should be backed up by godly devotion. Matthew chapter 7. He says, not all people who sound religious are godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. On judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we performed miracles in your name. But I'll reply, I never knew you. Go away, the things you did were unauthorized. We can talk like we're God's BFF, but if we haven't really hung out since 8th grade graduation, at a certain point we have to remember that the relationship matters. And on a day when we're gathered to give thanks, one of the ways that we cheapen God's name is when we take all the credit. Here's how that might sound. Let's take a look. Lord, we what I do. Well, it's what you haven't done, boy. A man eats with his hat on is going nowhere in a hurry. Now, your mother wanted all of you raised as good Christians, and I might not be able to do that thorny job as well as she could, but I can do a little something about your manners. Now, shall we? Lord, 
we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. If, if we're taking credit for what so heavily relies upon God, the presence of soil, the sun that shines, the rain that falls, and the winds that blow, if we're pretending we're responsible for all of that, that's really taking the Lord's name in vain by pretending it's all by, for, and about us. So what do we fill our mouths with instead? That leads to our third lesson from this morning's scripture. We align with God's heart with words of gratitude and reverence. I was taught a couple of things growing up. First, there are things that you can do to show respect before it's earned. Lead with respect, and you'll often, more than not, find that respect comes back to you. I was also taught to avoid being a doormat when part one backfires, but part one, show respect when it's before it's earned, has been helpful. Give folks the benefit of the doubt, and in most cases, it makes me naive and vulnerable from time to time. It's one of the reasons I was never a really great, gritty, investigative journalist. I struggled with fighting for people if it meant disrespecting a person, and I guess in some ways that's still true, though my spine has stiff stiffened some as it needed to over time. I wonder how that upbringing has impacted my attitude towards God. I was raised to at least be polite about God. When it came to church, I was taught to not to make too much noise in the service while I was unwrapping my grandma's candy. Don't sing lyrics you make up to the hymns loud enough so that people beyond your immediate neighbor could hear you. Try to appreciate that not everybody is there for the same reason. About God, I was mostly taught to be polite, to rhyme your prayers and end with amen, which is basically like saying, may I be excused at the end of a prayer instead of a meal. From all this, I imagine God was nice and possessed a generally friendly disposition and also had little else to do with my life. I realized later that God has all the power. God has all the power. I mean, all the power in the universe and then some. That God is the standard by which we understand goodness and love. That without Jesus, I would neither have a map to eternity or knowledge of heaven's existence. Apart from Christ, I might have a concept of morality, but my life wouldn't have been transformed by the sacrificial love that has redeemed me and offers that same recalibration of justice to all who would call upon the holy name. Even though, through my doubting years, God kept me from going too far with a protective hand, and I was lifted out of shame and given hope and purpose. That respect due to God has been rekindled in my heart many times over. And in the process, I gained a deep reverence and an appropriate fear of the Lord. Because I've seen people sober up in an instant at the mention of the name of Jesus. I've seen inexplicable healing at the name of Jesus. And when healing didn't come, I've seen families comforted at the name of Jesus. I've seen marriages restored when people understand what Christ did to extend forgiveness to them when they were bound for nothing but sorrow. And I've seen broken hearts bound back together at the hope embodied in Jesus. I've seen all sorts of offenses committed against the name of Jesus and by those who would justify wrong in the name of Jesus. But today, I look out at people who are here knowing that there is hope, hanging on to the joy 
the experience that we get by being together in the name of Jesus. Because today, there's still something about that name. So to close, I'm going to pray Psalm 99, a psalm that reveres the name of the Lord. And so I invite you to join with me in prayer. Lord, you are king. Let the nations tremble. You sit on your throne. Let the whole earth quake. You sit in majesty above all nations. Let us praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. Mighty king, lover of justice, you have established fairness. You have acted with justice and righteousness throughout the world. Let us exalt you, our God. Let us bow low before your feet, for you are holy. Moses and Aaron were among your priests. Samuel also called on your name. They cried to you for help, and you answered them. You spoke to them from the pillar of cloud, and they followed the decrees and principles you gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God, but you punished them when they went wrong. May we exalt the Lord our God and worship in your great assembly for you, Lord our God, are holy. Through Christ we pray. Amen.